Hi, welcome to Via Space Ask an Engineer podcast, where we will be answering questions that you might have about space, rockets, and engineering. I'm your host, John Humphreys, and I'm joined today with Brian Deo and Carson Zod. Mr. Carson, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? So, uh, so I'm currently working as the Turbo Machinery Design Development Engineer here at Viaspace. So we are working to take a early stage design of a turbo pump and bring that through all the different uh, steps necessary to prepare it for a, a rocket engine flight, an orbital test flight. Wow, that's pretty awesome. What, uh, what inspired you to want to be a part of this, want to do this? So I actually was born at Cape Canaveral Hospital, and my entire life they used to stop elementary school through high school to go walk outside and watch shuttle launches. And to me, there was nothing cooler than getting to go do my part to, you know, help that industry develop. Wow, that's awesome. How about you, Mr. Brian? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure thing. Yeah, no, I'm an analyst here. I run a lot of simulations, right? I, uh, I, uh, I test things on a computer before we go test them in real life, try and get an idea if things actually work or not before we go blowing stuff up, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I ended up down here. I'm, I'm actually from Massachusetts. I'm from way up north, right? And I, I've most of my life, I've, I've had this dream to work on something that goes to space. I've always been in love with the idea of space and just so worked out that I ended up right down here working on a rocket. Wow. Dream comes That's awesome. Well, uh, today we have a couple questions from the audience, so let's get started. One of the first questions we have is, what is a propulsion engineer? So mm -hmm. a propulsion engineer is kind of a umbrella term for all the different types of engineers that come together as a team to, to build and develop the propulsion system, specifically of, of a launch vehicle. So uh, that includes design, analysis, testing. And you essentially are you're going to have you're going to have propulsion engineers through all the different paces of clarifying a te uh, and testing propulsion system for flight. So, uh, Brian, if there's anything else I missed on that, no, that's really all it is. I mean, it's you know we have tons of different types of engineers here. We have people that do the electrical systems, the structure of the rocket, right? But pretty much everything that falls under the umbrella of the engine. If you work on that, primarily, you're a propulsion engineer. Very cool. Very cool. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, another question that we have is, what is a hybrid engine? Sure. Yeah. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll take the lead on that one. So there is liquid bipropellant rockets, right? That's the ones, that's the bread and butter of the industry right now. That's SpaceX. That's NASA. That's when you take a liquid fuel, you take a liquid oxidizer, you shoot them together, light it, boom, right? Big flame. And then we got solid fuel. It's almost like a firecracker, right? It's just something solid where you light it and you can even, you can even throw a firecracker like in a lake and it sometimes will still blow up because there's oxidizer in the fuel, right? Whereas what we're doing is a hybrid. It's a little bit of both. So we have a solid fuel and we shoot liquid oxidizer in there. So it's a mixture of both. We get the advantages of both systems. And, and, you know, the advantage of, of, of both without the, the uh, downsides of either one. Right. What would you say is, uh, is like the biggest advantage to using a hybrid engine? Oh, it's definitely safety and reliability. Definitely that. Our rocket can explode. Our fuel, zero explosive uh, or zero TNT equivalency. Wow. Carson knows a good, about, a good bit about that. You want to speak to that, Carson? Absolutely. So where, whereas you think of something like gasoline, I'm sure I don't, you may have heard that gasoline's liquid actually doesn't ignite, but the fumes will. So if 
any fumes coming off gasoline, it will combust. Where our solid fuel, polyethylene, very very similar hydrocarbon, if it actually, in order for it to, co to combust, it, it needs to do something similar. It needs to actually break into very small pieces like a gas and have enough surface area to react. And because it's in a solid form, there's, a, there's multiple steps where you have to add energy to the process. And it takes... It takes a significant amount more activation energy to actually have a chain combustion reaction. And a chain reaction uh, can only be uh, supported for polyethylene when there's uh, both that added amount of heat continuously being put into it, a large amount of mixing, and a very high pressure uh, pressure source of oxygen. Wow. So, yeah. Part of the it, reason we're using a laser to ignite our yeah. engine. It's about as difficult to transport our fuel as it is to transport milk cartons. So, it's, uh, it's very stable. Wow. Now you mentioned uh, using a laser to ignite the engine. How, uh, how does that work and what is the benefit of doing that? Okay, so the laser to ignite the engine, uh, essentially we have a smaller hybrid engine that we can, uh, we can modulate and regulate separate from the other engine. And that gives us more, more relatability. But uh, primarily what you're asking, it's the laser will impinge upon the side of the fuel. Like it, you know, if you have this column of you know, solid rocket, you know, solid rocket propellant for a hybrid, a central core that's open, the laser will pinch upon the fuel and you'll flow a small amount of oxygen in to give it just enough to start producing a fuel-rich combustion gas. And it's key to have it fuel-rich because once you, once you take that gas and then pipe it into the next main chamber, it's you know so hot and so full of fuel already that it, when it hits the main chamber, just the oxygen in that chamber can actually cause it to start burning, just ambient wow. air. But we, we further push that forward by injecting a little bits of oxygen, too, into the main chamber. And then you just kind of feed it until it grows and takes over the whole chamber. Right. Wow. And there's a lot of ways to accomplish that that people have done throughout the years. But like Carson was saying before, it's, it's pretty hard to actually combust our fuel. It's, it's, it's a plastic, right? It's like Legos. It's not easy to light a Lego on fire. But if you shoot a Lego with a laser long enough, right. you might set it on fire. Right. Right. That's it, yeah. That's very cool. Now, uh, there's one term that the audience has a question about, and that is, what is a hot fire? So, uh, <laughs> so a hot fire is uh, any time when you take a rocket engine and actually flow fuel and oxidizer through it, or just you know, you set it up so it actually it, it its plume ignites. So, the comparison, I guess, why they call it a hot fire versus like a what is I guess colloquially referred to as a cold fire or a cold flow is when you're just sending the cold propellants into the engine and letting those pump through at the high speeds and not letting them ignite. So hot fire was kind of coined as like the opposite of the first thing you do, the the test flow, the cold flow, and then you do a you do a cold flow and then a hot fire. Okay. Uh, I've always found that as an interesting thing to call it. The the hottest of the hot fires are the ones that actually light. <laughs> so you know that is very interesting. Get quite hot. Yes. Absolutely. Now, I understand that you guys are using a, a new program. So how are you using new technology like Epsilon 3 to make development and testing more efficient and less costly? Okay, so, uh, so that's actually, that's actually a, a not as well-known thing about the industry. To build something very complex, like a really, in, a really intense Millennium Falcon Lego set, you know, thousands of pieces, you know, you've got to keep track of every single thing. And if you're if you make a mistake and you have to go back and take things apart, the thing that's so useful is having those clear steps that you can just step back forth, back and forth through, and uh, having the ability to look at those pictures in the book that actually give you, you know, maybe someone who's not like a 
expert on this. They didn't design this specific system, but they're a very skilled technician. They can then go through Epsilon and just, you know, using the different the different um, strengths of Epsilon's like visual visual representations of the different procedures, you can actually very cleanly go through everything. And on the, even further, it, it gives you options for uh, like, say I'm, I have like a, a flange I'm taking apart and there's like a seal ring that's really fragile. And every time you take that thing apart and put it back together, you like you want to know what the, the the seal looked like, you know, so you can track if it's breaking over time. Every time I take this apart, it breaks the seal a little bit. So you take you can take all these very very well described pictures and then upload them to the procedure and have all that recorded to go back to the you know once they like to say once this thing leaves the pad, the only thing you have is the records you have on right. paper. You know, if, if you're trying to diagnose a problem in orbit, you need to look, go back through and look at all the different pictures you took, look at all the different assembly steps and be like, oh, wait, that that one valve that was supposed to be turned like this and this picture, you can see that it's not turned right over here. So that's the problem. We just need to, you know, reroute it through this system and we can still have a successful mission. So Epsilon, Epsilon 3 has really enabled quite a bit of organization and it just streamlined our, our operations. Wow. For people who put stuff into space, you'd be blown away how disorganized we can be if we're not careful. Right. Epsilon 3 oh, yeah. is the capability to resolve that. That's yep. amazing. It yep. sounds like a huge benefactor and a huge planning tool that is really useful. Oh, for sure. No, it sounds simple in theory, right? It's just almost like procedures, checklists, right? Just writing down what you do. Oh, everyone does that, right? Not really. And doing but it so programs very like Epsilon 3. Wow. Absolutely. Now, uh, one question that I have is for people in the audience who want to be in your position, who want to do what you do, if you could kind of give them a piece of advice on how they can reach their goals and how they can do that, what, what would you say to them? I would say you first. Chris. Okay, sure. So I think the biggest thing, and I really noticed this when I started working here, the biggest thing is just is is uh drive it, and really it's it's how do i put it it's a love it's a love for what you're doing it's every person here is so interested and so in love with the idea of rockets that you know we all just know things that we wouldn't otherwise know like for example you know a new youtube video comes out about some sort of engine technology the next day at work, someone brings it up, at least half of the team will be like, oh, yeah, I watched that last night, you know, like, yeah, yeah, because, because, you know, our boss didn't tell us, oh, go watch this YouTube video, you know, we're just so in love with this technology, this, this, this idea of putting stuff into space that, that, you know, we all have this, um, just, just love for, for the, for the field, you know, that it makes it not feel like work. If it feels like work, it, it, then it's, it's, it's not the same. It's, it's just not, it's, it's having, it's, you know, loving what you do. It's loving what you do. If you really love this and you can nurture that appreciation for what this is, you'll end up right where we are. You'll always be the best at what you love most. I think that's really what separates skill and, you know, what people say, oh, that person's just naturally. So there's a certain amount of natural talent that exists in things, but the majority of what you know, comes to fruition once you reach high levels in any certain skill is the people with passion always stand out. They're willing to do, you know, put in the extra work because they enjoy what they're doing and they're having fun. And that's key. Yep. But, you know, to, to answer your question really directly on what, what can really set you up early on, I would say 
having that passion and finding mentors with a similar passion is absolutely key. You think you're asking for something extra from someone when you say, hey, I'm really looking for mentorship. Like, would you be willing to mentor me? It's the opposite. People who have all this experience and knowledge, they seek so heavily people to pass that knowledge down to. They crave that. So mm -hmm. never feel bad about asking for mentors and asking for just advice on, on, on how to get where, like, this is where I am. This is a person who is where I am. Ask them how they got there and just find mentors. That, that's what's gotten me where I am today. And, you know, it really changes the game. Oh, and never let anyone tell you you can't do anything. That's the other thing. I was, you know, I'm sure a lot of us have been told many times, like, oh, you want to do that lofty dream? That's too hard. You're not going to ignore those people. They, their people love to tell you that you can't do things that they haven't figured out how to do yet. That doesn't mean it's not able to be figured out. They could have done it themselves, but you can do it too if you figure it out. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. What, uh, what great pieces of advice for, for those people out there and really anyone looking for anything. Um, and thank you so much, Mr. Carson, Mr. Ryan, for being here. Of course. Thank you to the audience for, thank you. for joining us today on Via Space Ask an Engineer podcast. Make sure to uh, go like, subscribe, and follow on all platforms at Via Space. That's V-A-Y-A-S-P-A-C-E. And if you have any questions, feel free to send them into media at viaspace.com. And uh, any, any last thank words? Thank you for joining us, John. It's been Absolutely. a great time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Again, I'm John Humphreys, and uh, look forward to seeing you guys next time.